So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see a five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have something pushing you. That's that cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On The Cusp. Hello, and welcome to On The Cusp. Today our guest is Justin Michael. He is one half of the prolific sketch group Tremendosaur. He is an irreplaceable one-eighth of the UCB Herald Team Winslow. He is the creator of Friendship All-Stars of Friendship. And he is my good buddy. This episode is sponsored by Ty Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue. Now featuring a dinner special which includes a complimentary Thai iced tea. Thai Pepper. If Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band had a favorite restaurant, it would probably be Thai Pepper. So this episode of On the Cusp begins in a little bit of a weird way, because it begins right in the middle of my interview with Justin. I actually ended up cutting the first, like, 40 minutes of the interview, because... I actually did this interview back in 2012 with Justin, and I was still trying to figure out what I wanted this show to be. Um, I thought back then that there'd be a lot more God talk in the show, um, a lot more talk about spirituality and things like that. And so the first 40 minutes or so of the episode were actually a little bit weird because it was a lot of me trying to weirdly pressure Justin to admit that God exists. And Justin uh, having the very fair point of view that he thinks that there's a good chance God doesn't exist. Um, it was a little bit weird, and I will spare you having to listen to it. Um, the things that are important that uh, I should say um, that got said in the first minutes of the episode um, is that Justin says that um, his parents are separated that he's um, had two dads at different points in his life, but he's not um, crazy close to either of them, that he grew up in Los Angeles and has lived there for uh, all of his life, um, and that he really likes his mom. Um, those are the things that Justin said. Um, but now you're caught up on them, and you don't need to listen to a crazy 40 minutes of my religious propaganda. Justin is one of the first people that I met when I moved to L.A., and he's one of the people I feel luckiest to have met. Um, he's somebody that I've always really wanted to be like, because he's endlessly optimistic, he works crazy hard, and he's good at actually getting things made. He's also just a lot of fun to hang out with, um, and I hope you have fun listening to the interview. So, again, the interview begins right in the middle of the interview, um, after all of my weird God stuff. Um, and it begins right after I've asked Justin the question of whether he thinks that when he was a kid, he was a funny kid. Here's Justin Michael. Probably, yeah. Not necessarily intentionally at first. Uh, I think if you looked at videos of me 
I, which I did. I, I saw old videos of me and I like sang and danced. Honestly, I was like the cartoonish stereotype of a gay person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I, I, God, I'm trying to say that in like the least like, I hope that didn't sound uh, homophobic. No, I loved how it sounded. Okay, good, good. Um, no, I, I just mean like it was like I just you know everything. I would have expected me to be gay based on looking at old videos of me. Yeah, I would have expected me to be gay based <laughs> on everything I know about myself. Right? What's going on? I know. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, but I think I was like <laughs> that, that was kind of irrelevant. But basically, I I yeah, I was I'm super talkative, over talkative. I think I talked to like anybody. You know, really? like while being wheeled down like a supermarket aisle, like I would just try to talk to people. So you were always charming. Uh, I was a charming little kid for sure. And then was there a point where you ever became shy or are you... I think I have an introverted sense of self. Yeah. I, like there are sometimes like I just don't like, I think I'll go through phases where I don't want to interact with a ton of people. Yeah. You know, like I'll what just is... see like the core, like three to five people. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, nope, can't and, handle... And anybody beyond that feels exhausting. Yeah, or like I'm putting on a, a show. Not a show, but like, I, you know, especially like around comedians just doing bits all the time, which like, don't get me wrong, I love, but sometimes I don't want to be doing bits. I want to have like a real conversation. Yeah. I almost always want to just have a real conversation. It's great. Um, but... <laughs> which I think is something that I like about most at least like comedians we know is that uh you can yeah usually one-on-one -on -one, though it's harder it's really when you get backstage at ucb or even yeah just like get more than two of us together and <sighs> it's joke time uh do you feel like you function well in like a group of like eight people all doing their joke um like throwing your bit in and knowing like when it's your time to Sometimes so it depends on how aware of it I am. I think sometimes I'll try to, like, I think sometimes I'll naturally just, like, jump on board and, like, you know, I, I think you'll just build off of what everybody else is saying, but sometimes I'm like, I don't want to have to fight to talk. <laughs> like, okay, cool, you do your thing. Uh, let, let's just move past this so we can hang out. It's been amazing, though. I feel like our group of friends, like... There's been times where they could have set the rec world record for, like, most words spoken without saying a single thing. Oh, absolutely. And most voices used <laughs> without using your real voice. Yeah. And I think it honestly just depends on, like, how social a mood I'm in. Yeah. Because okay. it's also cathartic. Like, I really... Like, if I'm having, like, a legitimately shitty day and I'm... I just feel, like, terrible about real life. If something legitimately bad has happened, there's something, like, calming and, like, cathartic about hanging out with, you know, our group of friends and just, you, we're just, like, talking about things superficially. Like, we're able to speak, you know, in, a, in, like, an easy language that, you know, we all understand, we all, like, can get each other and just kind of have fun. Yeah. I like that, Like, too. we get to play around. That's really cool. You know, I mean, I think it's a great. I think what it works as is a great uh, replacement for the stupid small talk most of America has. Yeah, that consists of, hey, how's it going? How's the weather? Which legitimately is the small talk I go to when I am talking to us. It's like because uh, weather's so universal. 
It really, like, there's a reason why yeah. it's the parody of small talk. I can't do small talk, so I feel like I end up just imitating what small talk sounds like to me. Oh, I can't and either. A woman at work said to me, like, how's it going? And, like, because the real answer would probably be, like, I'm sad because I work on this show intervention uh, <laughs> as a PA. Um, like, my answer was, like, well, it's 2012. Well, you know, that's it. Trail off. Yeah, yeah no, I know. Well, things are, you know, things are things. Barack Obama is president and the Yankees are doing okay. So. How about that? Um, I don't like small talk. So, yeah, I like that we've replaced small talk with fun bits. At least we're doing bits. Yeah, and also, like, we're, we get to act like kids and not be kids. Like, people... I feel like people in the real world <laughs> uh, or, you know, like non-comedy people, I think, we're not, you know, and I don't know, artistic people, non-artistic people, although I feel like a lot of people are artistic even if they, they don't define themselves as artistic career-wise, but I don't know why I'm trying to justify all this. Basically, I think people try to get, you know, like grow up and not be a kid and, yeah, you know, so quickly. And it's cool that we we basically are trying to make a living at maintaining, you know, a stranglehold on our childhood. Yeah, a whole community of Peter Pans. Which, you know, leaves uh, people kind of emotionally stunted sometimes. But also, totally. I, you know, everybody is so smart. that we Everybody we know. In different ways. Yeah, it's so smart. At least, like, They're, to be an improviser like a good improviser or, you know, like you have to be a good communicator and you have to be smart. And yeah. even if it's not like book smart, intellectual smart, like I respect everybody we know because they, everybody brings something different and personal to the table. Well, it feels like you've done a good job at, uh, doing the things about growing up that mean maturing and not doing the things about growing up that means saying goodbye to the most, like precious parts of who you are and what you love the most. I grapple with that. I don't know. Like I, I collected action figures for a very long time. And what's wrong with that right now? Right. Well, I, I mean, some pretty, pretty like dark, you know, shitty stuff happened uh, a couple of years ago, and I just one day it just like wasn't worth it. I was like, there's there are bigger things. Like I just had no desire to you know, buy series 18 of like DC universe classics and put together a collect and connect big, you know, villain figure and put them in my closet and pose them. And like, it just, I, you know, I, I think maybe the collecting was like a means of like control. If I was like psychoanalyzing myself, uh. I don't know why, you know, but like, I, I think I, like at that moment I was like, Oh, this is, this doesn't mean anything compared to like a bigger, sadder thing. But now recently I've, I've, slowly gotten back on the train, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Was this uh, being almost mugged or breaking up with your girlfriend? Oh, neither. But it's not my story. Okay. I like it's, it's, it, it was some family stuff that was, you know, it, well, it's not my story to tell or share. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was draining. And, uh, you know, I had to, like, do it at the same time as other really, like, good things were happening. And, uh... It was hard. It was hard. Um, yeah, when you come up against the fact that there are things that happen in this world that are 
sadder yeah. than anything we could usually imagine. It's just when real life hits, and it's like, oh, that puts everything in perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean... that. <laughs> I was gonna def- I was gonna defend your comic books, but I think that well, I no, but I do. I mean, now I remember seeing the forty-year-old virgin when it came out, being really upset that like the solution was like he's growing up and he's like getting rid of all of his stupid toys. And I mean, maybe it's because I was like very into collecting action figures at the time, and also he was forty and I was you know twenty. I don't know. I don't know how old I was when that movie came out. I think it was in, was it in college or high school? I think we, it was high school. For us, it was high school. I yeah. So I you know maybe it was like because I was that old, but it bothered me that it was like, well, you can be a mature person and you know still be into like goofy, yeah, <laughs> silly stuff. Or maybe that's how I justify it to myself. I you know I love cartoons and playing around. Me too. I would rather be silly than, like, try to be serious. I mean, sometimes when I think about, like, what would I do if I had money, the only thing I can, like, think of is, like, oh, I'd finish my Muppet action figure collection. Oh, man. Because I have, like, probably 70 of the ones that they made, but there's, like, a good 15 that I don't, and I don't have the backstage playset. The backstage playset's really cool. Which you have. I do. Um... I have too many Muppet action figures in boxes in my closet. That's not... not They're the coolest, though, right? They were the best sculpts. They're so cool. And so I... But I wonder sometimes, why do I want that? Like, why would it make me happy to, like, have more of this material thing? Right, because it it just becomes clutter. Sweetum sculpture. Yeah, he's Um, pretty big. I picture having, like, a room where I set them up and stuff. Um, what have you come to? That? Why do you? Because I, I've constant. That's honestly something that I've constantly tried to figure out why I was drawn to it. Because for whatever stupid reason, when I look at those things and when I touch them and move around their arms and like play with the eyelids on like the animal action figure, yeah, like it makes me happy. Like right? it makes it's stupid that it makes me happy, but it does. Yeah, I guess we can. I mean, everything's stupid. Not everything stupid, but everything that makes people happy, the specific things that make people happy are probably more or less equally stupid. We've just yeah. accepted certain things as being normal. <laughs> totally. But I, I mean, yeah, what's, what's not stupid that makes us happy? I really try, but I wish that I could fully embrace being like that kid-like mentality of like being able to play with those toys. Because like, I'll tell you, I for sure tried at various ages and you know like varying levels of sobriety i was like well maybe if i get stoned and i pull out my favorite old action figures i could just recreate that you know like that feeling of what because when i was younger i did these sprawling probably super boring shows for my mom and sister uh and babysitters that were like i would print out signs on microsoft publisher like superman versus brainiac or like but they were basically just reenactments of episodes of like superman the animated series or batman the animated series or maybe like spider-man met earthworm jim <laughs> but i would just like do these 45 minute like like including like making music with my mouth but also trying to do the lines at the same time yeah sort of thing but and, and like i i, I miss that kind of you don't, you're not judging yourself when you do that. I think that's... No. That like, is super endearing. Like, there's no judgment there. And I wish that I had that same sense of no judgment when I'm, like, writing something now. You do belong to a club that meets about twice a week to three times a week to make 
pretend yeah. little scenes. Exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, you take a step back and, like, watch an improv practice, and it is insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're crazy people. You're but pretend for a living. It's, it's the best. Yeah. And we've all agreed that it's normal, you know, and which is great. But it's it's like, if you tried explaining, like, what you did. But, right, and, and is it that you... Is part of why you can't go back to action figures, like, playing with them in that totally sacred way, that there's no way that that playing will bring you a sitcom? I don't know about that. Yeah, I wonder if it's, like, there are different things at stake now. Because improv... But I don't think of improv as a means to, like, you know, be on a sitcom or write on a sitcom or whatever. Like, to me, improv is pure. Yeah, it's... I honestly don't have a reason to not do improv. It's just in like it's part of me. It's something I want to do, um, and it. I I don't know. I couldn't tell you why. It's just something that I love doing. It's not a little bit of a means to an end. Yeah, yeah. I know. I for sure. There, you know, like looking at it as a career sort of thing. I can. Yeah, good things come out of improv, but that's not why I'm driven to do it. Why did you? Why was it a big deal to you to get on a Herald team? Why did you? Or well, I've been trying was, for years. So why did you? Why were you trying? Why did you want it all together? I, I don't know. It was a goal. It's a tan. You know what I think it is? I think it's because it's a tangible goal in a nebulous job path. Uh-huh. So like, if we look at like, I think like there are pros and cons to like doing a creative job and a non-creative job, and I'm using those I think loosely because I. Again, I think like there are certain jobs we might consider non-creative that have pockets of creativity in them. Um, but like, let's just say like a nine-to-five job versus like trying to be an actor or a painter or a singer. Like, there's no right path to a creative job, and I think you figure it out as you go along, and you can like learn things from other people. You can take their advice, but their advice won't necessarily apply to your life. It's yeah. such a personal thing. Like, the most you can do is try your hardest keep working at it and just do the best you can and not be afraid to fail. And, and so if that's your career path, then there's, there are no markers. Like there are certain things we can look forward to, but there's not like, okay, I do this and then I'm going to get a promotion to like, you know, be head improviser. And then I will, you know, after being head improviser, I get cast on a show because that's what happened. Like ideally sure. Like you get noticed somewhere or, but who knows? Like, it's all circumstance, too. So, to me, I think, like, it's exciting to be, to have those milestones because, like, to want to be on a, at some, at a certain point, it's because you want a little bit of structure. And so, like, being part of UCB or, you know, another theater means that at least you have these classes, these levels that you can graduate from, and you have an attainable goal. Even if it, the chances are super slim there's something that you're trying towards that's concrete. And I think maybe that's maybe that's part of the reason. And also just that it's a cool place and a community of people that are like-minded and that embraces doing what you love to do. Like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? No, there doesn't seem like there would be any reason. Other than that it, it I think, hurts people's feelings a lot yeah. when they don't get on the team repeatedly. Uh, yeah. Um, and then you feel... Like uh, success is boiled down to whether you achieve that goal 
Uh, when yeah, you, you get can. the chance to one set of one week out of every year. And who knows uh, how you're feeling than, that day and right. how the people in that room There's, are feeling that day and like what you have done recently. Like It's fluky that you made it in on your third time and not your second. I think it was the fourth time. Your fourth time. It's well, not, I mean, it, yeah. it, I, it, it was what it was and I'm like super happy that I'm on the team that I'm on though. Yeah. Like I couldn't I mean, be it, happier that this is the way that it turned out though. And I just think that, like, you can't get bitter about that kind of... I mean, you can, and maybe it's not for you, and maybe that's, like, the life choice that you make that pushes you in a different direction, but, like, for me, it was like, I'm just going to keep on trying. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. I, I, I got on a team with all my, like, best friends. So back to this singing, dancing... Oh, <laughs> yeah, I little went off on a real old. fucking tangent. Yeah. When were you singing and dancing? I don't know. I mean, I for all a while, all I really wanted to do was be on Broadway. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, I loved... I didn't listen to anything but musical theater and, like, Tchaikovsky and books on tape, falling asleep. And maybe, like, the, my uncle made me, like, mixtapes of, you know, normal music that I would listen to, but because he made it for me, not because I, like, was seeking out bands. I think I didn't really listen to bands until, like, late high school. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you, mu- like, I'm so bad with music, you know, like, I know what I know at this point, like, in college, I dove into things, but only by recommendation, so I don't know, like, certain types of music, I could not make jokes about the bands that we, like, grew up around, what was on the radio or something. Yeah, me neither. And it's the I worst, didn't... because that's what, like, most people connect on. Yeah. Like, music and sports, like, two get... things that I don't know anything about. I didn't get music until college, when people started, like, suggesting, like, Sufjan Stevens and Regina right. Spector. Yeah. But, like... And even that, like, yeah, I got into, like, Ben Folds, which is, like, a yeah. step away from musical theater as it is. But I would, like, listen to that stuff. Like, I listened to, like, a demo Simpsons uh, so, like sound like it was a, a CD made to sell the actual CD. So it was like honestly, some dude did like a five minute remix of the entire CD, and I like loved it. And I would For listen to it over and over. Yeah, I got really into The Simpsons in middle school. <sighs> so I'd listen to that, like you know, yeah, the Star Wars soundtrack. A lot of soundtracks. I liked movies. You're um, describing exactly my really? the CDs that I was listening to. It, All my my CDs were like the Star Wars episode two CD. Um, I had episode one. I a, don't know why a, I liked it. A bunch of stupid soundtracks. Um, what dreams may come soundtrack. The Austin <laughs> Powers two soundtrack. Austin Powers. I have Austin Powers one. Uh, I wouldn't know how to relate to you. Yeah. Um, well, we're different. Uh, so we haven't we haven't gotten yet to when. This singing, dancing, musical-loving, little stereotypically gay boy yep. uh, becomes funny in a uh, way that people know. Well, in middle school, I think I realized I was funny. Um, I would make... And that's probably when my grades started dipping. Uh, <laughs> or maybe, like, high school is when they really did. Probably, like, 10th grade is when it all uh, went down the hole. But... Yeah, I, like, I started watching The Simpsons, and I, I, you know, like, quoting things was really big. So, like, I, you know, you would just quote Simpsons episodes to each other. And yeah. I remember my friend, this guy Zach Young, got me a Simpsons book on, like, the first eight seasons, I think, is what it was up to at that point. Is that really... Uh, For me, maybe I it was think ten it was seasons. updated, like, as it went. Well, so I, I had that one, and I poured like, over it. I remember going up to, like, the Army 
the episode where they go to like uh boot, boot camp yeah. or something. Yeah. It was it definitely was like now it would be like three times as long. But yeah. I remember reading over the quotes, they had bios for the characters. I bought all the action figures that had like, you know, you would put them on their bases and they would say quotes and stuff. I think Simpsons merchandise was like at an all-time high and I was just consumed by it. <laughs> so I was really influenced by that. I think like Simpsons was my number one at the time. And so I think it started with just like quoting the Simpsons. Also like all the the cartoons that we grew up with at least like I think all those Warner Brothers cartoons like Animaniacs and Tiny Toons and Freakazoid, like, those were legitimately funny cartoons. I mean, depending on which episode you're watching and, like, you know, Pinky and the Brain and all of that stuff. Like, so I feel like that, like, kind of had this weird undercurrent of influence on me. And then my friend Harry and I started making silly videos in his garage all the time. What age was that? Well, he and I met between sixth grade and seventh grade. They Oakwood, the school I went to, would pair you up with a buddy. Um, and he was a new kid and I was an old kid from the elementary school. So like you would know somebody going in and I think like, you know, there were a lot of people paired together and that probably didn't stay best friends, but we were best friends from that point forward. You know, like love doing stuff together. I just, you know, we're working on stuff today, but he, he introduced me to film in a big way. Like I, at the when I met Harry, I thought the best movie ever made was My Fellow Americans <laughs> with Jack Lemmon and James Garner and Dan Aykroyd. And there is no, I literally like I defended like he was like two thousand one A Space Odyssey is the best film ever made. And I was like, well, have you seen My Fellow Americans? Because uh, <laughs> it's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> Although I wouldn't have said fucking then. Um, it's pretty it'd be, nifty funny. It's pretty nifty funny. Uh, I just said what you said. Uh, but, he, yeah, I think he and I, like, kind of helped each other grow. Like, his, he had, like, a, he, he has a pretty vaudeville sense of humor. And, like, I would say, like, cheesy and dark at the same time. And your I mean, he's legitimately funny. Is, if his is cheesy and dark, yours is... I mean, mine is also, I think, pretty cheesy and dark. I, I like, I think... UCB has also affected the way that, like, I, like learning to ground things and, like, at least give a why. Or, like, you watch something like the Venture Brothers, um, and I never really put it together because I loved Venture Brothers in college. I thought it was such a good show, uh, and I still really like it. But why I really, like, was drawn to it, you know, I think it's something that, like, Alex Fernie articulated about it is just that they do such a good job of, like, grounding you know, crazy things in a mundane world. Like, you, you know, yeah. which is nothing new at this point. I feel like a lot of comedy does that now, but I think at the time, at least, Venture Brothers was one of the only cartoons, like, in the superhero genre doing that, that had, like, mainstream visibility. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, I liked The Simpsons. And I made a lot of jokes in class, and... Took advantage of nice teachers letting me do creative projects. Like, I did something uh, called Infanticide the Musical, which was just a very loose way of not writing a paper. And instead, me and Harry and a couple other people did, like, a musical about infanticide in, like, a European history class. Can I hear... Do you remember any of I it? I don't. I remember there was 
a one song called Hello Death Nurse. Because <laughs> there were these, I guess, because to prevent overpopulation, I think, there were, like, people called death nurses who would, like, kill babies. And yeah. I don't think it was, like, a super common thing. But, uh, we wrote, like, a Hello Dolly, like, Hello Dolly parody, and it was just like, Hello, death nurse. It was, like, that kind of voice. I don't know. It was, like, the most grating thing. And our teacher at the time thought this was worthwhile enough. He was the coolest teacher. He still is. Uh, and he... Like, we came to different classes, different sections of the class, and played this video. And it wasn't a video, it was just the audio file that had to be viewed on a DVD, because I don't think we could figure out how to convert it or something. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, I did something, like, we had to, like, a, like, philosophy and social issues, like, I had to, like, write a thing about retributivism, and it was like, the Muppets take retributivism. <sighs> and, like, that, at that point, I had started, like, cursing, and, like, I think uh. I made a lot of, like, shitty jokes, like, that were just at the expense of, like... They were just offensive. They were just, like, pushing boundaries for the sake of pushing boundaries. In the Muppets take retributive? Yeah, like, there was some, something, like, Fozzie was saying really, like, really, like, I should find it. I know I, I have it somewhere. where you were at, like, at that point, where you, like, wanted to be edgy, but still, like, wanted to write this Muppet it was project. it was like basically the equivalent of, like, fan fiction, not having to do real homework and writing jokes. Uh-huh. And... Like, for sure made terrible jokes when I... Like, in middle school, like, people would just... Like, it was just, like, pushing the boundaries, like... Like, just shitty, like, why was Helen Keller a bad driver? Because she was a woman. Like, that's not funny. It's a pretty good joke. It's not funny. (laughs) funny. I mean, you can think it's funny. I've known I've laughed at that. Yeah, I for sure laughed at that. But, like, now I wouldn't want to... Like, that's not something that would make me laugh. That's shitty. No, it's shitty. (laughs) Uh, Ben's writing it down on his good jokes idea pad. Can you say this again? She's a woman. Yeah, Helen Keller was a bad driver because she was a woman. Uh, I'm going to be laughing at that one. That's your hand, man. You're writing it on your hand. Well, You don't even have a pen. You're just scratching your palm. Netbooks prices have become prohibitive. Oh, $1.99 is too much. So you're... You start making films with Harry when you're in what grade, you said? Uh, probably around 7th. The first seventh one we grade. did was a Siskel and Ebert parody that his dad wouldn't watch because my voice was too grating. <laughs> uh, oh, no, that was a Regis and Kathy Lee one. We did, like, an Antiques Roadshow thing that we just improvised as, like, different characters. You were leaving no stone unturned. No, we did... Cl- he's, he's an animator, like, since he was born, practically. And we did, like, a parody of our teacher in Humanities, who was later our art history teacher, Glenn, called Glumby. It was, like, a pretty unflattering sculpture of him. Uh, and we showed it to him. He was super cool about it. Uh, but it was, like, gave him, like, a pot belly and, like, made fun of... T- but he was also super Glenn. We did a cut paper animation thing and, like, it made fun of other teachers we showed it to the humanities department, but I don't think other people saw it. Like, the PE teacher was the villain, and it turned out he was a Terminator robot. Because he kind of had a robotic cadence. I love that you were, like, doing this stuff in just the, like, absolutely wrong environment. Like, this is so much exactly what you would be doing ten years later in Hollywood. <laughs> but, like, nobody in your school was going to option. Oh. Well, Glumby. I, you know, Glumby actually is optioned by Warner Brothers right now. Um, oh my god! Three congrats, picture dude. deal. Uh, and did the Gumby people have any problem with it? 
Uh, yeah, no, they have a lot of problems. Legally, we don't have any grounds to make this. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Sounds like... Well, good to see you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Uh, <laughs> and so you're making things with Harry, and then you have a huge dip in 10th grade uh, because you're doing too much... Uh, <laughs> Musical parodies. Well, I don't know. I think it was just pers- life got hard. Oh, life got hard. You know. But then was... you somehow do well enough to go to USC. Uh, yeah, I think I'm... I don't know. I mean, I did well enough, and I... Isn't USC a good school? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. I, I just... I think I didn't view it as a great school when I was going in, because a lot of people I knew, they were going to, like, Ivy League schools. Like, it was like a big college prep... The, although, like, you know, reflecting back on it, it's like, no, like, the, like, like, I had this idea that I would go to, like, Harvard or, or Vassar was another place, like, I really wanted to go. Did you write that down in your journal? Uh, I didn't, I don't think so. I don't have a journal. I had a live journal uh, at one point. Did you write that you wanted to write, go to Harvard in your live journal? Maybe. I think I just told people. <laughs> like, that's yeah. where I wanted, like, we did, I visited the school and they were like, this is where the, you know, Muppets Take Manhattan was filmed. I was like, sign me up. Yeah, you're you know, like an open, a pretty openly like liberal-minded campus. Like your su- people who are super smart go here. Uh, and the Muppets Take Manhattan, the movie that you know, w- sure, my least favorite Jim Henson Muppet movie, but like still a Jim Henson Muppet movie, great. And just the scene in the auditorium. And I think the, the wedding is what was. Oh filmed. my god. Oh no, maybe not. I think the wedding was filmed there. Oh, I want to go to that school. Yeah. Well. <laughs> That's why Convoy is so cool, because they went to the school that Muppets Take Manhattan was filmed at. <laughs> uh, and you wanted to be a dramatic arts major, or like a theater major? I wanted to do there? theater. I really wanted to do voiceover. Voiceover was like a, a huge passion of mine, and I think, I mean, it still is something I really would like to do. Uh, but I just did silly, like in school, like I did silly voices. Harry and I would do really goofy voices. Uh, at some point it like, I was much, I mean, I'm pretty wacky and weird, I'd, I'd say, uh, my sense of humor, but I would say like when I got to UCB, it was kind of like, this sounds too negative. It wasn't beaten out of me in like a shitty way. I think it was necessary to like, you know, okay, like let's focus, like let's harness what you have and like grounding things is so important, but, uh, I think I took it to the extreme and would play, you know, straight man. I would call everything out. Yeah. Like that, like that kind of improviser. Like, okay, not everything, you know, nothing can be, you know, a shred of weird, <laughs> you know, like we're told that like we have to play this as a reality. So, uh, if there's a unicorn, well, I'm going to call this out and act really surprised and scared because there's no real world equivalent of a unicorn existing, you know, like, like uh, that would have to be the focal point of the scene at that point is that uh, it was so unusual that a unicorn was there rather than like following the fun and like grounding a world of unicorns in a way that you know like okay we have our baseline unicorns exist but like what's the actual game here yeah and not just calling out the first not real thing that's how you've evolved i don't know i hope so i still think i it's hard for me it's hard to balance like having fun and going all out and like you know being focused i think that's one of the hardest things in improv is like the best improvisers like really just do both (laughs) <laughs> yeah do you feel permission now to do more funny voices like uh i think i've lost some of that performery aspect i feel like i've i became more writerly and like but i think i do goofy voices in winslow shows sometimes but i think i i was a better actor and committed 
I think I have trouble committing to characters now because I feel self-conscious about like I feel like oh I'm not like an actor but I yeah. would like I also because I felt like I condescended and looked down upon acting there was a period of time like when you get into comedy I think there's what I like about comedians versus straight up actors and this is a broad generalization but at least like we're self-aware of how ridiculous what we're doing is yeah yeah. Cool. Point. I'm glad. Like, I mean, they're great actors who are super into their world and like, you know, have to like really get into it. And I respect that. But uh, also there's something so fundamentally silly about what we do that I, I, I can't, I think it's hard to ignore that. Right. Like actors and I, respect and not themselves. silly in like a disrespectful way. Like so like let's like appreciate that what we're doing is playing pretend. Yeah. And some of us do an incredibly good job at it. And I think that takes real talent, but uh let's be aware of what we're doing. Totally. And actors aren't. They just they feel self important sometimes. And yeah, and I mean I think it depends on who you're talking to, like depending on the actor. And I, I also think that was a means of, like, convincing myself that, like, I shouldn't do that. Like, I think I was afraid to delve deeper into it because you have to be confident enough to, like... Like, we're confident enough to be silly on stage and not be self-conscious about it. Like... Yeah. You know, like, Ben, if I, like, labeled you, like, a, a pooping goat who, like, you know, has rainbows for eyes and sounds like Shirley Temple, I have no doubt that you would just commit to that <laughs> but like there are people who like i feel like there's some maybe it's like the flip side some like you know serious actors who would never do that without feeling self-conscious but i feel like we also sometimes it's hard for us to be serious because we have such a an eye for what's funny and like what what's absurd about that kind of stuff yeah the book about acting is, like, respect for acting. Yeah, and, like, and like... Improv is a lot about learning to be not precious with things. Yep. And have less respect sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, have respect... I mean, commit to your silliness, but it's still... You're supposed to be having fun. Agreed. There's, like, a whimsical nature to it. Um, so when do you meet Jacob Reed, your partner? When did I meet him? College. He and I met uh, pretty quickly in college. He was on a group called Second Nature, which was a, an improv group. There were like two at the time, Comedus Interruptus and Second Nature. Comedus um, was like the team that had been around for, I think, like eight or years or ten years. I don't know. It was around for longer. Second Nature had just started. And I remember seeing one of their shows and they, the Second Nature show was like terrible. Uh. And I was like, I want to be on Comedus. I don't want to be on this other group. Yeah. Um, was Jacob Reed in this terrible group? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Jacob was on it. Clay Larson was on it. And I, honestly, reflecting on it, like I don't know how terrible it was. I think I was pretty judgmental. Um, but I, it wasn't a great show. Oh, if Jacob and Clay were on it, I bet it was horrible. Yeah, it, you're right. They're terrible people. <laughs> uh, no, the, the, we we so that then I auditioned for both groups, and like the thing is with Comedus, they take you on into like a like a, there's a a few more weeks where, like, there's select people who aren't on the team, but, like, you get to do workshops with Comedus. And then at the end, after that, they pick, like, two or four people or whatever from that group of people, and the rest, like, don't get on the team at all. And the second nature, they take you on the team right away. And I got into the workshop, 
and into second nature. So I had to decide like, I think within like an hour or two, and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, well, I'd rather, this is a surefire bet. Like I'll get on a team versus having to slog through a workshop and like then not (laughs) possibly not get on a team and not get on the other one. Yeah. And so then I met Jacob in that group and he started a sketch group out of that, out of uh, largely out of people who auditioned for second nature and didn't get on the team who he liked. Um, And so there were like 10 or 12 of us. And so we did a sketch group that did like one show or sometimes two shows uh, at the end of the semester. And that was your entrance into like traditional sketch comedy. Uh huh. Yeah, and at one point, there's the, this dude Tom McMillan. He moved out here from New York. He was doing a study abroad. He, well, he went to Tufts, but he came to USC, and he take he took UCB classes. And we were doing short form at Second Nature, and he was like, "Hey, there's this thing called the Herald, and like there's long form improv, and it really divided the group. And some people were like UCB's a cult." Uh, it's like, well, yeah, every place is like, you could describe as a cult, (laughs) you know, any community of people that like, you know, it's revolving around one thing. You're going to, it's going to become cultish in some aspect, but they were like, yeah, there you like, I remember this one dude just kept talking about the cult of UCB. Like, yeah, you just want to go along with the cult of UCB. And we were like, well, we just want to try. This is like more fun. Yeah. Like we did a ton of short form and also like you can get really, I feel like there's a a ceiling for short form in my opinion. Like it can be entertaining. I think it's like sometimes sure it's a good introduction for some people to get into improv, you know, when they're younger, like the comedy sports or high school league. Um, and, and in freshman year of college, I went to like every musical at comedy sports for like a semester. It's like an improvised musical. And I like, I loved it. Um, but I feel like you, you kind of figure out the patterns of like the games you're playing and like it's I don't want to walk through something knowing what's going to happen, you know, and there's room for playing around and the best improvisers can do both. But I feel like it just becomes rote, right? Totally. Because you did short form. I did. Yeah. You well, there's first of all, literally a cap. Yeah. Because the end goal really is just, like, making jokes. It feels like uh, you, like jokes are more encouraged in sure. short form uh, and do actually work, and puns are going to work in short form. Hey, man, puns um, work across the board in any form okay, of comedy. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step <laughs> Come up. on. You are the punniest comedian in UCB. Yes. Um, I, I'd, put, I'd throw Mark Rennie in that. <laughs> I heard there was, like, some... That you had gotten insulted the other day. Oh, because Ryan... Because somebody told me... Ryan Rosenberg says he's better at puns than me. Nonsense. Yeah, right. Well, there needs to be some sort of competition. The, uh... Well, there is. Or a pun petition. Hey, man. Keep on trying. (laughs) Okay. You're a regular Ryan Rosenberg. (laughs) No. Uh, There's an O'Henry pun-off in Texas, in Austin, Texas. Really? Yeah. I don't think I would be good with puns under pressure. I'm not... I actually think if, if if Ryan and I had a pun off, I don't know who would win. Because I... They just happen in my brain. It's not something I think about. I think it's... It must be like a neurological disorder. <laughs> like, like, it happens before I can, like, think about it. I just hear things and I twist them in my brain. I'm opening a uh, soap store... And I want it to have uh, a name which parodies a movie. Can you help me? 
a soap store that with a name that parodies a movie. Yeah. See, this is pressure. Um, That's what, yeah, I want to see if you operate well on this. Uh, soap floats. Uh, <laughs> really good. Uh, Soaparation Dumbo Drop. That's a bad one. I was thinking more about op. OP. No, I'm, I'm going to settle on that. My store is going to be called Soberation Dumbo Drop. Soberation Dumbo Drop. Way to go. Uh, <laughs> cool. Yeah, there's there's definitely a cap in short form. So you so joined, switched, yeah. So you wanted to join the cult of UCB. Is there anybody else in this uh, USC, either the sketch group or Second Nature, who I may have heard of? Maybe there are other people. A lot of people. We we started this uh, festival, this intercollegiate improv festival called Fracas, uh-huh. and that basically all these other colleges improv teams would come out to USC for a weekend, and there were classes and panels. Like classes were taught by people from like UCB Groundlings, IO Comedy Sports, and you get T-shirts and improvisers would have sex for the that one time during the year <laughs> when they have sex uh, and meet other like-minded people and like the five girls at the time, whatever the ratio of like dudes to girl, the girls would probably like have their pick of the litter if they even wanted to hook up with another improviser. Wow! Uh, Did you have sex during fracas? Yeah, but not with any improv. I was in a relationship for two fracai fracases. <laughs> it wouldn't be fracai, and then. Hawkeye. They're, that's not a pun. That's just my brain connecting things that sound alike. Um, Is that a character from MASH? Uh, it's a character from the Avengers. Oh. Uh, who's in MASH? Uh, I never watched MASH. Or are you doing a who's on first with MASH? <laughs> who's on MASH? Yeah, who's yes. on MASH? Yes, correct. Wait, what? No, who's on MASH? This is yes, great. Yes, is. <laughs> who's on MASH? So Ben Green and I will be debuting Who's on MASH at the Little Modern Theater uh, next week at 8 p.m., uh, one of the days of the week. So Starring who? who? Yeah, that's my question. Who's on MASH? No, I'm saying it's starring who. I really want to MASH. Um, so you had sex with your girlfriend during Frogs. Yeah, and before then I was too socially awkward. I think I could have hooked up with people and just didn't. Like, I would, I hooked up with people, like, outside of USC. Like, I, I think for me, it, I had to, like, control the variables so much that, like, I knew that they wanted to kiss me before they kissed. I, like, I've never yeah. kissed somebody who was like, no. Like, I, I've always known that, like, okay. or, like, had a, like, beyond, like, a reasonable doubt that, like, yeah, they were into me or <laughs> wouldn't, like, recoil. You have to collect a certain amount of evidence but. To- you're going to make a bold move. I get, yeah, yeah, if you're neurotic. Yeah. And I am. Uh, it's in that degree. Was Dan Lippert at USC? Oh, yeah, yeah. So Dan Lippert came okay. to USC. He was there my senior year. So I was graduating. We only had one year together at USC. So he was like the little freshman guy. He was the big little freshman guy. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, he transferred from Arizona. And oh, cool. He... We quickly, I mean, like, he's the best. And same thing with Jace. <laughs> Jace, no, Jace I met, well, here's a weird story. Jace is my roommate and also one of my best friends, I would say. Um, and he and I met through Harry, actually. Harry, he, I've known Jace so long, it's crazy. I met Jace when I was in seventh grade. And oh, wow. He, yeah, and 
he we met at family functions because his family and Harry he and Harry went to elementary school together with oh my gosh my current with my current girlfriend with my girlfriend with Marissa with Marissa Marissa all- was a few years older than Harry and Jace and they went to this school together which is crazy uh, that all those ties like it goes back to there but so I met Jason we even did a video together in the first year uh, freshman year of college Harry and I made a channel 101 we never like had a successful one but or one that screened but we made all these channel 101s it was like an unofficial film school uh, governed by us and message boards where Dan Harmon would you know spit out suggestions and advice uh, to anybody who would read it um, I think they just like split sider just like did an article about that somewhat recently. Like they just copy and pasted stuff from those message boards and they, they're, it's great. But, cool. um, Harry and I did something with Jace and we barely knew each other and like didn't talk. And then he was on Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara's improv team. And he came to fracas and like he and I became, we, we like, we reconnected over comedy and then ended up living together a few years later. But, like, that's how I met Jace, that's how I met Chris Otti, somebody else, another improviser we know, and Gilly, who's on my team, I met in college. Uh, but because she, like, I met Gilly, I met Allison Fields, uh, like, all these people, you know, like, Farley Elliott and Scott Nyman. That's so weird how many of the people that would flush out your life you were meeting in college. I stayed at Scott Nyman's house when he was on crutches and barely interacted with him when we our college group did a tour up the coast. And we, he was at, you know, Cal Poly. So in college, you became out of your Herald Team Winslow. You became friends with Gilly, uh, Dan Lipper. Dan and I, yeah, good uh, buds. And anybody else on that team? On Winslow? No. Well, meanwhile, I was in college becoming friends with Mary Sasson, Mono Agapian, and John Mackey. Who are also on my team. It's crazy, So we collected uh, six out of the eight members. And I went to your... I've seen your college improv group perform. I went to the Dirty South Improv Festival my freshman year of college. That's crazy. Yeah, so we were... Maybe had crossover. I know for sure Mono was there. Uh, was it in 2004? I feel like it was five. Five. Yeah. There was a hand logo. Yeah, the hand logo. Yeah. Oh my god. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, then you graduate college, and is there ever a second where you don't say, I want to try to make it as a actor, writer comedian no that's just kind of what i wanted to do i didn't i I mean i still feel kind of pulled in a lot of directions i don't know what what other directions do you feel pulled Well, like what you were saying but like those are everything requires that like i I don't want to be like a jack of all trades master of none sort of scenario like like you really have to commit to something like i would love to try stand up but i feel like the the level the level of working on it it requires is something I don't have time for or wouldn't want to make time for because I'm already invested in improv and sketch and writing, you know, like, and animation. Totally. Uh, but I feel like... You'd be spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, like, I'd rather try it when I have the time to. Well, I've talked about this with a few other comedians that, like, improvisers in our community that... Stand up just isn't hospitable 
to improvisers who want to do stand-up at this point because... You have to start the, at the bottom again. You have to start at the bottom. The rumor yeah. we've heard is that those rooms are so cruel and yeah. full of negative people. It sounds like such a negative place. Like, uh, I don't want to be around that. I'd and, rather be around supportive people. Right. And yeah, there's this whole supportive improv community, for the most part, uh, that all really wants to do stand-up and would probably be naturally good at stand-up because we've been learning how to do comedy in a different way. Yeah. And we've been doing, you know, monologues uh, in our improv that are basically, you know, trying out stand-up in a super safe way. Um, it feels like what needs to happen is that, like, we need to start making little stand-up nights just for improvisers and start doing stand-up on training wheels. To me, that almost sounds scarier. Because I'd rather be in front of strangers than friends, I think. Than Jace? What's Jace gonna... Well, I don't know about Jace. Jace I'd feel cool in front of. I'd, I'd feel pretty good. But anyway, you want to do stand-up. Is there anything else you want to do that's not... Well, I want to, like, act more and do more voiceover. Because yeah. um, you spend most of your time writing. Right now, I feel like writing, yeah, yeah. is a focal point. I mean, and also, like... I don't know. There were like there have been recently. I've had some things that like almost happened, uh, like acting wise, that would have been like a turning point. You know, like like jobs that would have been huge and great. What almost happened recently? I almost got the leading role in a horror movie franchise. Whoa! Which was crazy. Do you, can you say what franchise? I guess so. It's it was Paranormal Activity. Uh, so you would have been the lead in the next Paranormal Activity movie? May, yeah, supposedly. Although, I mean, like, it was down to me and some other dude. And it was like, I was like, oh, I guess I, I mean, not that, like, you have to be the best actor to be in, uh... No, you can feel good about that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think also I did well in the auditions because I got to improvise and I didn't have to do copy. Yeah. Because they don't really I think want a script for their next paranormal activity? Uh, no, no. I'm breaking copyright. Um, I have no idea. But, uh, I mean, they were, like, it was super fun because, like, getting to improvise, it's so much easier. And I think that's probably something that scares people who don't do improv. But yeah. it was just, like, I could be far more natural improvising, I think, at this point than it would take a lot more work to get a level of naturalism in straight up you know, memorization. It's your superpower. It's what you bring into a room that a lot of actors aren't. Yeah, I guess so. You're a proficient in this skill that's hot right now. That's hot right now. Uh, what are what are other uh, things that almost... That happened? was, like, the biggest thing. Um, there, there are projects... I mean, I just don't like to bank on a project until it's, like, done. Yeah. Like, there are things that I'm working on that look really good. Like, so, you know, like, there are certain projects, like, in the pipeline that whatever, like optioned or, you know, in levels of development that, you know, should happen. But I've experienced, you know, things falling through last minute or no of people, you know, like, I just don't want to bank on that. Yeah. Cause that like you, you just setting yourself up for, feel like you have to, and this is again, like having to do with like the nebulous nature of being like a creative person in, you know, trying to make a career out of something creative is like, all of it can fall through at the last minute. So, like, you can't have high expectations. You have to temper things or go in knowing that anything and everything could fail. Like somebody, you know, you could get cast in a sitcom and then they replace only you at the last minute. Right. You're God, that seems so heartbreaking, you uh, know? You're still at the stage of your career where exciting things 
super exciting things have fallen through. Sure. And the giant, giant thing that m- makes your life seemingly easier from this point on hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But before all this happened, what what were the steps that brought you up to? Um, I think if I were listening to this, I'd be wondering like, what what makes what made this guy get to the point where like he had things that were optioned and uh, well and could have almost been my favorite paranormal activity star. Yeah. Uh, I okay. I don't know. Uh, I think I've just I think just honestly continually like working on things. Just putting things out like tremendous, or you know, would get. We just kept making videos. Okay, so I want to hear about the path of Tremendosaur. So it began in two thousand seven. Yeah, I'd say two thousand seven. Uh, we were part of this other group called the Consortium, and it was a big live sketch group, the one I told you about. And uh, we just ended up writing a lot more. I think just because we were, you know, driven towards that. Uh, there were other people who wrote stuff. You know, everybody wrote something. Some people wrote more than others. Some people were more interested in the acting side of things. Um, and, you know, Jacob and I were like, oh, well, we we like writing these things. Like, we we should continue just doing this, the two of us. It's, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. Like, it's harder to get a, you know... In that group, it was like everybody had to have a sketch in, uh, regardless of quality, I would say. And, like, some of them were great, and some of them were not. And also, that's subjective. Maybe they thought that, like, ours were shitty. But uh, Jacob and I decided that we wanted to just do stuff together because we gelled and, like, we really liked writing stuff together. Um, and we, we specifically, like, the first... Our first videos were, like, old consortium videos or even, like, a Channel 101 failed pilot that I made that wasn't even Tremendous or that we just slapped the Tremendous or bumper on. Oh, cool. Uh, Which is, what was that project? It was called Let's Help People. I think it was a it was a parody of, like, what's that house fixing up show? Uh, Extreme Home Makeover. Uh-huh. Um, how, you know, that... But, uh... And I did that with Harry. So, we... We just started making videos and doing that continuously and, like, holding ourselves to it and... You know, we, like, as we made for like, Jacob was doing a lot more improv outside of college than I was. You know, like, he was part of the uh, improv space. Then it was called Ultimate Improv during college. So he met a lot of other people, like, you know, who were at UCB or going to UCB. So, like, we kind of knew people there, and, like, they would be guests in our sketches. And so I think that, like, other people saw them who wouldn't normally have seen them. And I think, like, the quality was, like pretty good for you know when where we were at like some of them i'll look back and like cringe but at the time it was you know we were just doing what we wanted to do and like we weren't thinking of what the next step was we were doing it for the love of doing it like i i don't think i mean i'm sure there are people who can make things for the purpose of like getting a job or like this is going to be perfect for this reel or you know i'm gonna get an agent because i've made these videos but i i think going in like like that, you're not going to make your best work. That's funny, because when I started uh, my sketch group, Hamilton 100, yeah, with Robert Stevens and Mary Sasson, like, I was looking at Tremendosaur as like, oh, this is part of why I want to do this, is because, like, look at what's happening to the guys in this group. Like, this is, like, that's so cool. Huh. I, I want that. But it's funny that, like, you, ne- you didn't seem like you had that motivation. It was just totally fun at the beginning. It, exactly. It was all fun. 
Um, it was all fun and games then. Uh, uh, and no. so at the so at the beginning, uh, I was gonna ask you like if you ever had a period where you were thinking like I don't know if this is gonna pan out, but sure. You, I mean like yeah, there was like self doubt for sure. But we got like a weird job right out of college, like hosting a Playboy TV show because of videos we like we made a few videos for Current TV, uh, Currents TV, whatever their channel during college like there were movie reviews and like holiday sketches and from that somebody messaged us through current's message board from playboy tv asking if we wanted to like host a show and it is we are like it is like probably the most embarrassing thing that's readily available on the internet of jacob and i um like just like stilted deliveries and like bad cheesy lines and like us in front of like legitimate like naked people fucking and like really? we were we travel like it was a cool like I got to experience like such a different world like people were so it's so strange like just like the first day in that on a porn set like because it went behind the scenes of porn shows and like if I were watching me on that show and I knew me and I wasn't me I would for sure make fun of it but it was such a cool weird experience Sounds like a dream come true to me. Well, that's what a lot of people's honestly said. Not because, uh, but like it wasn't at like, all because of the nakedness. Or it was honestly it made us both super uncomfortable. I think we were the wrong people for that kind of job. Although at the same time, I think the gimmick was like, look at these nerdy guys with these hot girls. Yeah, I can see how the whole thing sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, the dream to me is being right out of college and getting paid to host a show and travel with your That was the friend. coolest thing. And we were getting, you know, like, and I spent a lot of money on an Xbox at that point, or, you know, what was a lot of money, uh, although still is. But it, it was just like... <sighs> Did you have the sense at that time that money like that would, like, keep on coming yeah. in? At that point, I was like, well, you know, we're hosting this thing, like, great. Um, and it was so weird. It, it was so strange, because, like, you just got exposed to, like, the, like some porn stars were the exact, like, sad, you know, parody or, like, image that you imagine them to be. And some of them were, like, super cool, smart, you know, just open people. And I think it ran the gamut from, like, sad, skeezy places that, like, for sure were breaking some sort of laws to this is what people legitimately wanted to be doing and this was the art they were making. Or, you know, what they... Or even if it wasn't the art they were making, it, like... It was what they, it made them happy, you know? Yeah. And, like, great. Some Sometimes it was weird, because, like, there was this one we went to where, like, the couple got off being watched. And so we were interviewing them, and some, we were turning them on just being there. And that felt, I felt like I was being used. I was like, well, I didn't sign up to, like, be a part of somebody's sex act. I've signed up to, like, you know, we just walk in and say stupid shit and interview people and then, you know, call it a day. So that felt almost, like, strangely manipulative. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah. How did your mom feel about that? I don't know. I mean, like, she was like, can I watch it? I was like, you can. I'm not watching it with you. It was, like, hardcore sex. I think she was proud of me in the Jewish mother way, but, like, I think she started to watch it once and was like, I couldn't, like, get through it. Uh, but she like I'm happy for you. Like she's pretty open. Um, but I, even that like like it's pretty embarrassing and bad. So you had that exciting thing happen pretty quickly, and current came from tremendous sore. Yeah, 
And then, uh, how does current stop happening? I mean, we just the, only did a few things. And the, the porn. Girl, the girl we knew who worked there, I think, stopped working there. And the porn shows? It was just one season. Okay. And, and then, what was the next little bit of your life like? You're still making tremendous uh, I worked videos. At a com- like I worked at a comedy website that just aggregated videos and lists from other people's sites like they didn't make any original content it was like cop like i was an intern that was like i think i was a paid intern maybe not at first and then they had me like writing their video game blog but which my uncle wrote before me really yeah my uncle does comedy so did your uncle help you get that job uh incidentally no it was it was coincidental this guy i met who now works at funny or die uh, he's an improviser named Chris Single. Uh, he and I met at a UCB class, and he told me about the job, and I asked him if he could like put in a good word for me, or like, and he was super cool and got me hired there. But it was just like writing fluffer filler descriptions to like get people to look at, like, like I was embedding a funnier die video in a blog post. So it was just like, or like a funny picture, like, but none of it was original content. Yeah. And I was like driving to Santa Monica to do it. And part of the giant industry of recycling things that other people. Yeah. I think, and like now that site doesn't even really exist. And it was, I think it does, but like in its most basic form. And I think it was run by the guy who like helped co-found the Disney afternoon to tell, give you an idea of like how into comedy he was. (laughs) I did love Disney afternoon. Yeah, me too. But it was not a. It was it was a little bit of a sad realization. Yeah. Uh, um. So and that might have felt like a step down working at that website from. I guess yeah. Kind doesn't of, sound like you were looking at it that way. At that point, I just was happy to have a job. Yeah. Uh, because it was like a job, like it was easy. And uh, I mean, it, it paid terribly. Like I was doing that, and. Your your outlook. Uh, through your entire life out here in LA sounds very different from mine, which has been a lot more feeling horrible about myself. Well, oh, I felt terrible. I remember there was a day that I came home, my girlfriend at the time, like we got in a a fight or not even a fight. I guess it was just kind of like she, there was crying involved just because she was just like, I can't handle being around how stressed you are. You know, like how, like, I I guess I just like complained all the time and like felt so shitty about not like getting anywhere at that point that I, you know, she was like, just like, oh, that's all you're talking about right now. And I was like, oh my God, I'm just like dumping this here. And like, that was a turning point. Like it wasn't, I mean, it was, I guess like first world problems. Like I was working at a, you know, comedy aggregator. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but like, I felt like. It felt like kind of soul-sucking. Honestly, because where I was living at the time was on a place with shitty parking. I was driving from, like, Hollywood to Santa Monica at rush hour and back. And it was, like, after two hours in traffic, it took, like, 30 minutes to find a parking spot. And I just wanted to, like, kill myself. Not really, but, like, I was like, ugh. Like, I'm not, like, a road-ragey person, but at that point I would just be, like, yelling in my car, like, Really? (laughs) Like, there's not a parking spot anywhere? Ugh. Um, well, it's, it's the obnoxious, uh, like, attitude of people in our 
industry is like I feel really sucky because literally the best thing hasn't happened to me. Right, and also like, like I fuck, know. I just got out of college. Like, yeah. ooh, I'm, I felt entitled. <laughs> Are you like, <laughs> you know, just doing comedy in college? I thought that I already was like, you know, ahead of it. Yeah, but you were cock was, of the walk at USC. Yeah, when we were leaving, for sure. Like, was I think probably at my most like confident as a performer. I mean, there are moments of that, but like you know, also everybody we know is so funny. Yeah, in the microcosm of USC, would like kids you don't know come up to you? And, oh, like, I mean, like comments? there were yeah, there were people yeah, like there were fans of the like, college improv groups and like like weird Facebook messages from like girls who I didn't know and I sh- I could have like like in hindsight I was like such I was like oh like really like you didn't like hook up with that person uh yeah uh, but I was such a weirdo it's crazy to taste that like little like bit of celebrity that yeah mini celebrity big fish small it, pond sort of thing yeah and then you come out into the big pond but weird that your small pond was in the big pond that you'd be entering I guess yeah um, so what Tremendosaur, like what stage in Tremendosaur's life did things that were more exciting to you start happening? Uh, the way I perceived it, uh-huh. um, just so tell me if I'm wrong, was that like you guys made a certain amount of videos and then like companies like Adam or Red Bull would come to you and like... Well, Red Bull was like through Funny or Die. We got okay. Funny or Die work. We went into pitch videos to Funny or Die. And they were like, oh, well, we really writers just write the videos here. Um, but, and like in that meeting, like we were offered a job if we wanted to do like branded content for a Starbucks video. And they literally just like assigned us something there. Uh, which was so cool. And I mean, that video didn't end up getting made. Uh, it was about a psychic barista. Uh, that sounds good. Real, yeah. Real... A lot of promise. Real good stuff. Uh, but, you know, and then we, like, just got, a, like, a, a good amount of work with them just because I think we were, like, down to do it, and that was cool. And, you know, so we were doing that, and, like, you know, we got a manager through, like, a friend of mine who was an intern at you know, somewhere recommended that somebody look at our videos. It was just, like, by, like, a word-of-mouth sort of thing. Who's still your manager? Uh Uh-huh. Awesome. Um, And then did things just seem to sort of organically, like, just keep, like, work begot more work? Yeah, I think it... And and there were certain things that... there There was a big project that Jacob and I turned down. It was, like, a... Or it was the biggest project we had. It was like a web show. It was like a movie parody show. And at that point, I mean, I think it's, I don't know if I would have turned it down now, but I, you know, like, I think they wanted us to like write, produce, edit, act, like do everything for a pretty nominal fee. Okay. And honestly, it's not like good. It wasn't good money, but we would, it would have been like, I think through like an MTV kind of affiliate. And I remember like we had such a moral crisis because it was like, I don't really like, the people there were super nice and cool, but, like, we were just, it felt like all we were doing were, like, parodies, and I think we had, like, loftier aspirations of writing, like, longer-form things, and so we didn't take that. And I feel like things, like, ebb and flow, like, when you don't take opportunities, sometimes it's good, and it, like, provided time to work on other things, but also, like, financially, like, uh, made less money. 
Do you feel good about making that decision today? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Were there months prior to today where you didn't feel good about that decision? Sure. Not prior. I mean, like, sometimes when I, like, was super broke and, yeah. so you know, like, depending on what month you talk to me, like, I could be now. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's just, uh, I, you know, it was just something that didn't feel right. And I remember seeing that Louie episode, I think it was the one with Joan Rivers? Yeah. The one where, like, he feels like an idiot for, like, turning down a show or something. And, like, the moral was, like, no, you always take it. And I remember feeling really conflicted because I agreed with Louie on, like, every... Or, like, I, you know, really respect him and, like, the show meant so much to me. And mean, you know, like... And then him saying that was like, well, should I have taken that job? That's what I equated it to. And I still, I don't regret it because it didn't feel right. Um, and good things are still happening in different ways. And yeah. No, I think you're the winner in that decision. I think that's like the decision that you regret three months from that day and maybe three years from that day, but I can't imagine regretting that 30 years from that. Unless nothing good ever happened again. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, so... I, th I honestly think, like, success ebbs and flows uh, for a little bit, for at least for, like, you know, tremendous sort of, like, I think we burnt out on sketches, too. Like, th we've taken a long break from releasing new material uh, just because we're working on longer-form stuff. Because I think it, there's only so many things you can write with characters that don't have any end goal other than to be, like, a joke or kind of enough depth to get you through a premise. <sighs> What was your proudest Tremendosaur moment? Like, your favorite video? I really like Contacts for Your Cat. What's the idea of that? Uh, it's just an infomercial or commercial about contact lenses for cats. It's so silly. <laughs> but I think it's my favorite. And I know one of Jacob's. Like, I think there's a Bride of Frankenstein sketch we did, which I think, to me, has, like, one of my favorite endings. It's just Alex Berg as Igor smoking a dildo like a cigar as the Seinfeld music and yeah. like like to me that's like great cool and like the set on that it was all mostly practical and like the this guy Will Mendoza who does UCB stuff he's in like the UCB community he he did uh the graphics for it uh but like the, artistically I think it looked so cool Jace was in Jace at that time was holding the castle set in Chris Adi's garage up as the sketch went on Oh, I remember the set looked amazing. It looked so sketch. cool. I think it wasn't necessarily like the... It's like a fine sketch, but it, the best part of it to me is like the elaborate set and costumes. What's and it called if people want to look it up? It's just Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, cool. Uh, on And it's on Adam or... It's I think it is on... At, or Comedy Central's video site, CC Online. Awesome. Uh, but it might also be on our YouTube I don't know. So simultaneously to all this tremendous sort of stuff, you're taking classes at UCB and then doing a bunch of I started groups. UCB classes in college, okay. yeah. And so you uh, did you go up through the UCB with Jacob? Like uh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I did one oh one well we did one oh one separately. I had John Ross Bowie and it was my senior year of college. I took a break and then I had Will McLaughlin. Uh, he was my two oh one and then I had Leffingwell for three oh one. You didn't ask to hear all these teachers, but they're happening. So upset about it. Uh, and I think I, t I took 401 twice uh, with Danielle Schneider, and that's where I met Betsy Sodaro and Tony 
Charlene. Because that was her first time in 401. That was her first time in 401 too. And Stephanie wow. Allen was in that and she got on arts and athletics at that time. And I remember like, that's how me and Jacob, Jacob and I were in a class together for the first time in 401. And me and Jacob and Betsy and Tony just like gravitated toward each other. Do you remember uh, all those people like who everybody knows are excellent now being at a stage of like being less proficient? Betsy was always funny. And I mean, Tony was super funny too. Like, yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to pull it apart. Like, there are certain people I can look at, myself included, like, I can see the growth. Yeah. Like, I certain friends who I was like, oh, man, like, you've come a long way, and you're incredibly funny now. And, like, you know, I saw you when you were just trying shit out, and a lot of it would, like, fall on its face. Yeah. But I remember Betsy and Tony were just insanely funny in class. Yeah. And Jacob's always been great. You know, like all, all three of them, I just remember all of them were super funny um, in that class. And like we loved performing together at the time. Like we just, we did a lot of IO cage matches as ladies and gentlemen, which was the four of us. I love ladies and gentlemen. It was the most fun. Some of the most fun improv shows I've ever had. Um, so can you put yourself in like the mind space you were in, your third audition when you didn't make it in? Yeah, oh, the third one. I was really sick. I had, I was, I literally lost my voice before. I don't remember. I think it was the callback. So I was just like just trying to stand up. Like it was. I felt so shitty. So I was like, well, hopefully they'll recognize that. Like you know, and and that audition, I was still nervous, but I was like just upset that I was sick, mm-hmm. and I think I like was able to get out words. I like didn't speak for most of the day just to do that. Uh, And then I think afterwards, Jacob and I were hosting not too shabby anyway. So that felt good. So that was like, well, cool. Even though I was super sick. (laughs) Yeah. And so did you give yourself like a pass when like it didn't happen that time, but you were like, that's okay because I was sick. Yeah, a little bit, but I also could, I mean, yeah, I could have made better moves, but also like I was to say, I think honestly, I wasn't very confident in those uh, for, I think the fourth time I auditioned, I just like, I didn't really care as much. And I went in and I made bigger moves. Like I just owned whatever I did a little more. Uh, and I also was like pretty sad still from the breakup of my like ex-girlfriend. Uh, and I think at that, you know, like I, (laughs) I think I I said, I remember saying something that got a laugh in the audition that was just like very true, like just a really sad specific about, you know, an ex-girl, like my breakup and it, you know, it, it worked. That's awesome. Um, but it was, yeah. I think I just, I, I didn't really care as much. I was like, well, if I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. It's already happened. Like, it already hasn't happened three times, and I'm going to keep trying. So, what's, you know, like, I, I was, like, I love UCB. I w- and I think, like, for sure, after the, you know, sometime when I wouldn't get on, like, there would be, you know, I would not want to, like, go to shows as frequently. Like, you know, there's that, like, sting, but also, like, didn't take it personally. Yeah. Like, there are a ton of people, <laughs> a ton of talented people. That's so. a very reasonable way to look at it. Yeah. Um, so from my point of view, uh, you're like a step ahead of me in my career and like have like a lot of the things I feel like 
I want. Like, just looking at you, being on a Herald team, I want to be on a Herald team. Uh, like, going out, like, pitching shows around town mm-hmm. uh, to people. Like, I don't have those meetings yet. That sounds really awesome to me. Uh, for you, like, do you feel just, like, super uh, happy and content right now? Or are you, nope. like... Nope. <laughs> Not at all. I, I don't know. I think... It, I think what I'm realizing is I have to learn how to be happy with what I have because there's always going to be the next step. Like there's always going to be like, okay, like I, you know, I, I did this, got to this milestone. Like, I don't know why I'm compelled to like keep moving forward. I was just talking about this with somebody recently, but there's something I really miss and feel nostalgic for about, I hope this doesn't, doesn't sound like, high and mighty, but, like, about, like, really, like, originally, like, taking UCB classes in the beginning, and that kind of, you know, like, just starting at the theater, there's more freedom to, like, fail. It feels like there's more at stake now. Like, now I have to make a career out of this. At that point, it almost felt unattainable to get on a Herald team. Yeah. Um, And it is, it's, you know, like, I was just working on it because I loved it, and I was learning, and there's that, the education period of, like, I, there, it was. It didn't seem like it needed to happen to survive. It was something that I just loved doing, and you know, you, yeah, you just had more freedom to fail because you were learning. And I think like the more proficient you get at it, the more I think there, there are like higher expectations. And then you're trying to do this to make money, and then you know, like there's just something that's. And maybe I just need to like take another class, which I really want to do. I, I God, if I could do anything right now. If I if my days weren't taken up, I would like take at least like one UCB class, maybe like a Groundlings class, just cause, and yeah. like boot camp, Susie and fill in, you know, use Susie Barrett's boot camp with like Drew Defonso Marks or Eugene or whoever's filling in for Drew. And if you could uh, isolate one success thing. That would, that in your imagination right now, like, once that thing happens, like, you'll be a little bit more content, what would that thing be? I think selling my own TV show or project. Being able to make money from, sustain, being able to make a living doing what I love to do, I guess is really what it is. Even it would be that, like, acting, writing... I think I'd like to act more than write just because <laughs> I think it's easier. Um, really? That's not, that's not why. I mean, like, I just feel like I love writing so much, but it's, I will go, I go insane. Like, you know, just trying to like break a story or trying to like find the perfect joke and not judging yourself as you go through each draft or as you're writing it. Yeah. It's, it's like so much more in your head and sometimes, you know, like just beating your head against a wall. And it's also like, acting like it's difficult for sure but like you show up and you leave like I've been on all sides of like you know a set like from like PA to like acting in something to writing on it and for sure on set I think acting is one of the easier things you can do like people pamper you you get a trailer uh if it's like you know a real thing and you don't have to like carry things and do the grunt work and I, I, nice. not that the, there isn't like prep that goes into it and, but like, you know, out of all of those things, that seems like the most, uh, relaxed 
part of it. I guess maybe easy wasn't the right word. But, but like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people decide they want to be actors because they think... It's not because I think it's easy to do. It's yeah. because out of all those things, like that, I mean, like, honestly, creating a show seems like the most appealing thing. In the world. Yeah. Great. Be a part of it, like, on the acting end, like, you know, if it's a cartoon doing cool, fun voices, bringing my friends in, like, how, like, that's what I think we all want to do, right? Is at least, like, any, any comedian I've talked to, like, the goal is just, like, Sustain yourself and make money doing what you love doing and hire your friends and be hired by your friends and work with the people you love. Great. <laughs> well, uh, I hope that when people listen to this in five years, uh, on loop, like they will. That's a long loop. Um, <laughs> they'll be doing it in a world where all those things are your reality. Yeah. To the max. To the max! Uh, but I'm sure you still will be very unhappy. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I don't want to be. <laughs> no, you'll be really happy. I know, we'll yeah. All be, we'll, be, we'll all be really happy. Let's, let's, not, let's buck the trend and not be, yeah. you know, like, unhappy We're, comedians. Let's be happy comedians. I think it's possible. I, I really do. Is that our revolution? Are we going to be, like... The generation of comedians that aren't fucked up, but are just like... Well, we're fucked up. We'll be fucked up. But we'll, like, we'll, we'll just be happy. Yeah, we'll be, we won't be as... We'll be helpful to each other. We'll support each other, and we'll be happy. I remember Jacob and I, when we wrote on Matt Besser's show, the, this show, or special, The Show Will Get You High, there was this one writer who had written on Conan, and we were talking with him, and he was just like, you guys are so nice to each other. He just seemed so perplexed that we were nice to each other. Oh man. Um, and I when I was he was like, A lot of you guys are just like nicer and happier and supportive these days, aren't you? He's like, That's great. I just can't imagine like, you know, we're always like I mean, maybe that was just his particular no. circle, but like I really do maybe it's just the group of people we know, but I feel like we're insanely supportive of each other. I think you're right. And I'm legitimately happy when people like get things. I, I don't you know, like they're sometimes it's like, Man, like I wish I was doing stuff also, but not in like a not in a shitty, jealous way. Like, I don't wish that other people didn't get stuff, you know? Yeah. But on an incredibly sincere note, your positivity is uh, electric. And, uh, <laughs> Man, you know, like, it, it yours is. Off. You're a great guy. Oh, no. This isn't... It's uh, true. We are. We're just unzipping each other's flies right now. Yeah, I uh, guess we. I guess those the cartoonishly gay uh, videos were true after all. Thanks for talking to me today, Justin. Yeah, thanks for having me talk. This was a pleasure. <laughs> a pleasure. <laughs> this was a pleasure. Uh, this was a pleasure and a pleasure. You're a delight, Ben Green. I love you. Bye. Bye. I hope it didn't come off like an asshole. So that was a pretty fun conversation, huh? Um, the cool thing is that, uh, listening to it two years after the fact, um, we get to know that, uh, not long after this interview happened, 
Justin actually got to live out kind of the dream he talked about having in the episode. Um, when him and Dan Lippert and their friend Harry created Friendship All-Stars of Friendship, um, that ended up being a show that uh, was like their opportunity to like make something completely their self that was like this awesome claymation um, animation style and get to hire their friends to do the voices and uh, get to run a show that was like completely the kind of thing they would want to do. Um, and they've got more of that in front of them. So it's cool to see uh, how even since this interview, Justin has come a step closer to his dreams. Um, for more about Justin Michael, you can uh, check out his website, heyjustin.tumblr.com. Um, you can see him uh, almost every Monday uh, with his team Winslow at the UCB Theater. Um, you should check out his podcast, Before You Were Funny, where he uh, interviews uh, comedians and they read uh, sketches that they wrote before they were funny. And uh, you can check out Tremendousaur um, on YouTube and lots of other places. Special thanks to my producer, Cece Pierce, to Casey Triela for all the music in this episode, and to my sound editor, Joe Burge. This has been On the Cusp. That's your outro music.